that longs to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. So glad you can join us today. And if you listen to me on Apple or iTunes, I would certainly appreciate a five-star rating and review. It really does help us out. When the postmodern wave sort of began to crash against the church over 20 years ago, I was uh, I was in youth ministry at the time, and and I tried to see it as a positive thing. Uh, there were parts of the whole postmodern way of thinking that I thought would ultimately make us better. Uh, postmoderns by nature deconstruct everything, and that can be yes very annoying. Uh, but it was I think it was good for us in the short term at least in church leadership, because it it forced us to examine why we do all the things that we did. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, if you wore a ball cap in church, uh, somebody would come up to you older than you and say, uh, hey, you need to take that off and be respectful in church. And you would do it. And then when the 90s came along and uh, kids were wearing a ball cap in church and an usher or somebody would come up to him and say, hey, we need you to remove that just to be respectful. And they would say, why? And it would sort of force us to say, yeah, why, why do we do that? And I mean, there were reasons that we gave, but uh, and that's a very simple example, but it forced us to really look at um, everything that we do and, and our motivations behind it. And are they totally scriptural? And I guess at the time, I, I didn't realize that the wave that was starting to hit would eventually become a tsunami, really of, I would say, disrespect um, against the church and really all other institutions. And, and we're seeing, I think today, the, the, the full brunt of postmodernism in its attempt to tear everything down. Uh, we're seeing that with, certainly with the family. We're, we're, we're seeing that with all kinds of traditions and institutions that have been a part of our lives. Um, and it certainly has had its effect upon the church. Um, in fact, I, I think it's almost become quite fashionable for people to rail against every authority figure they have ever had in their life, whether it was a teacher or a pastor or a coach or a parent or a local government official or uh, a first responder, you name it. Um, I think a lot of Christians do this today. Um, they do this with their church upbringing. I think it's also very tempting for artists to do because obviously the, the church is not an easiest place for them to be. And it, it almost makes them sound more legit to sound, oh, I'm so disenfranchised. And and I get it. Some some are. And, and the church really hasn't quite spoken their language and um, maybe even dismissed them as worldly when they were just different. Uh, and I get it. Every human organization has flaws to it by virtue of the fact that humans are running it. 
And, and nobody does it right all the time. No church bats a thousand. Um, and everyone sees themselves as victims these days. So, so they had to be victimized by their church growing up because it gives them more street cred or something. Um, and, and I think there's just such a lack of gratitude and thanksgiving in our world today and even in the body of Christ. So in honor of Pastor Appreciation Month here in October, I personally want to look back with appreciation at my home church, where most of my spiritual formation took place uh, back in Illinois. And, and I want to specifically recount five big things that they did right in my life. And those of you who are pastors um, and even volunteer leaders who are listening today, I pray that as you hear this, that you will be reminded by the Holy Spirit of the good you have done, because your investment, I don't believe, is forgotten, no matter what the narrative is in our world today. So here, here are five big things. Number one, what my church did right was it gave me biblical education. Now, let me preface this by saying that I personally believe the home should be the primary place where the Bible is taught, because we're there a lot more. And it is what Jesus uh, originally established. This is what God established as the place where uh, biblical education would take place. And it was primarily through the parents. Uh, and again, parents, you don't have to have theological degrees to do this. You just need to know more than your kid. Now, beyond that, I am so glad that in my church, I heard all the great stories of the Bible. I was introduced to Moses and his story. I was introduced to Abraham and David and Samson and Jonah and then uh, the apostles and Paul. Uh, these were constantly reinforced in Sunday school, in children's church, in vacation Bible school, in Sunday services, a.m. and p.m. back in the day for me, youth services, other activities. I mean, I learned uh, about the life and miracles of Jesus. Activities were even done in order to incentivize kids uh, to memorize and learn the Word of God. That was certainly a part of my denomination. Um, in our boys and girls programs, and then even in youth, we would have uh, specific things set up where kids could learn the Word of God in a way, and, and of course, they, uh, they could be rewarded for uh, achievement in those things. Now, there's potential negative to that, and we've seen that, but I am so glad that the Bible was absolutely central to what was done in my church. I remember as a as a teenager, I got involved in, uh, we had a, a program called Bible Quiz, where in our denomination, uh, there would be one or two or three books of the Bible, and they were always in the New Testament, that were going to be studied, and uh, and there were going to be, there would be quizzes, and of course, you would have like buzzer sets, and you would compete against other churches, and they would ask questions about the scripture, you would often have to quote the scripture, I have to tell you, I have a four-year Bible college education, but I memorized the Word of God in my junior high and senior high years much more 
than in my college years. And I am so glad that I was able to take in so much of the Word of God at an early age. And back then, everything was King James, by the way. Uh, the New International Version came along kind of when I was in junior high. But I memorized the Scripture almost exclusively in King James. By the way, that also improved my vocabulary. It forced me to learn words that, I mean, this was from the Shakespearean era, the early 1600s when the King James Version was put forth. And so I, you know, I learned a lot of old English words that I otherwise would not have known. It, it really helped me in my speaking skills and reading skills. Um, I think these days we are so concerned with people enjoying the experience of church and we're trying to get the mood right and we're trying to get, you know, all these uh, outside factors in place so that people love coming to our building. But I am so concerned that we are dumbing down the evangelical population of America to our great shame. Biblical illiteracy, I think, is so far on the rise. I could give you statistics for it, but do you really need them? I mean, we, we just see it all over the place. I mean, when, when somebody thinks that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife, uh, we've got a problem. I think biblical illiteracy is more dangerous than COVID. It is a spiritual virus that is doing great damage to the church. It's causing us to make very bad moral choices because we, we choose not to learn the word. And now I get it. That's on individual believers. But we in the ministry, in the church world, have to do all we can to bring the word of God to everyone in attendance. I am so thankful to my pastors and teachers who, yes, they, they used various creative methods to drive home the story and the point, but they were even more concerned that I heard and ingested the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Number two, my, my church growing up, what they did right uh, they taught me worship and reverence for God. Now, I started in the Pentecostal church when I was about eight, I think. Um, when I was a little guy, we started in the Disciples of Christ. And then we ended up going to a Baptist church, and that's where I gave my life to Christ at a vacation Bible school. And then shortly thereafter, we went to the local Assembly of God Church. And we Pentecostals, even back in the day, we were accused of being way too informal in our approach. But I, I can tell you that even though, you know, we believed in manifestations of the Spirit that could occur during service, and yeah, occasionally some would be a, a little too emotional and maybe cross the line, but we were never out of order. There was definitely a sense of God's bigness and power in the room, and that was uh, conveyed in many of the songs that we sang. I am so glad that I was introduced to the great songs of the church, and I learned great theology from singing them, even though I didn't realize it at the time. I would sing things like God in three persons, blessed Trinity. 
not realizing that I was making a doctrinal statement. I always loved those real sort of high church songs that we sang. And as I grew up, it was only piano and organ that were playing usually. But we would sing all hail the power of Jesus name or blessed assurance, Jesus is mine or at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light or uh, walk and wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Back then you had two choices. Uh, you were either singing a hymn or you were singing a chorus. That's what we would say. You were singing hymns and choruses. Um, and yeah, some of those, what we call choruses, yeah, those were kind of lame. <laughs> um, they were catchy little songs, but you know, they didn't quite have the depth of uh, what we were singing out of the hymn book. And worship music has certainly become much more sophisticated. Uh, but you know what I miss? I miss the days when Christians actually sang in the church. As a kid, everyone sang their lungs out. You could hear it all across the sanctuary as people lifted their voice. And to me, it only increased the excitement of the moment. I mean, these days, all you can hear are the instruments playing at whatever, 120 decibels or something. And most people, and I look, I just look around the room, most people just kind of stand there drinking a coffee like they're at a concert venue, just kind of watching what's going on. And I would uh, hear people around me growing up, I would hear them praise the Lord verbally. Um, they would just start to speak their own words at different times uh, without any prompting. And I'm so glad I grew up in a church that reverently and humbly worship God. I think the third thing that I'm so grateful to my home church for, I would just put this under the category of the intangibles. There are just things about growing up in church as a kid that you just pick up on without realizing it. So I'll, I'll name just a couple here. I learned the value of a good handshake. I mean, I, I lived in an area where most people either worked on a farm or they worked in the steel mill. A lot of folks where I grew up worked with their hands, and they were salt-of-the-earth kind of folks who showed you and demonstrated a good adult handshake. Uh, I remember our head greeter, Tim Brown. He would open that, that front door uh, as you were walking up to the, uh, to the church and he would put his hand right out there and he had a very, his hands were huge and very, he'd give you kind of a strong handshake. And if you weren't doing it right, he would instantly correct you. If you were like trying to wuss out of it, he'd say, no, 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 come on. You got to put some grip into it. And, uh, I'm so grateful. I know that sounds so weird, but I'm so grateful I had, People like that in church to teach me that. I mean, he looked you in the eye when he did it, and, and I, I don't think that's something my mother could have taught me. I'm also glad that my church valued children and youth and that older generations were approachable in my church. I, I learned how to engage with people who were quadruple my age. It's always such a big deal when you're a kid talking to adults. 
And really, church, I think, is frankly the best place to learn how to do that. We, we had a lot of wonderful folks who <laughs> suffered through my youth and immaturity with patience and showed me the ropes in adult conversation. And to be honest, I don't think I realized the importance of that until I put this episode together. So remember, adults, when you're in church, when you're in, in, the, in the lobby uh, before and after service, not just with younger folks, but maybe with artists too, introduce yourself, give them a firm handshake, look them in the eye, and start asking them questions about their life. Nothing deeply probing, but enough to show that you're genuinely interested, and then just listen. Don't interrupt. Because I think a lot of artists just assume that they won't be understood in your church. Prove them wrong. My name is Corey Prescott, and I want to be your state senator. As you probably don't know, because most Americans can't say who the vice president is, our state senate seat was vacated when the incumbent was convicted for his participation in a Ponzi scheme. It's time to clean up our state capital, and I'm just the guy to do it. As a former litigator, I took on big corporations like Fred's Bait and Tackle Shop, who failed to adequately shovel their sidewalks, causing a woman to break her hip. I took them down and shut them down. Fred's widow was forced to shut down after 60 years of unaccountability. And I'll take that determination to state government. It's time to get real, and I'm bringing my shovel. What else qualifies me to be your state senator? Well, I'm astoundingly good-looking. I'm married, I have two children, and a Labradoodle. We're the people you wish you live next door to. Plus, I have a very soothing voice. And if that doesn't make me state senate material, I don't know what does. I'm Corey Prescott the positive choice, and I approve this message. I'm Hal Percival, and I'm hoping for your vote for state senator this November. Are you like me? Are you tired of these pretty boy candidates who think they'll get elected because they wear a tailored suit and get $200 haircuts? Are you tired of politicians who play on your sympathies to get votes? As a former Marine, I know what it's like to be boots on the ground in the most dangerous places on earth. I wasn't afraid in Iraq, and I'm not afraid to take on the fat cats in the state legislature. As a Marine, I've learned the value of honor and duty, and I pledge to uphold both as your state senator. I'm ready to do a full-scale invasion for my district, 
from your house all the way to the state house. By the way, did I mention I was in the military? Don't be fooled by guys with trophy wives and labradoodles. Vote for the guy who lives Semper Fi. I'm Hal Percival. I was a Marine, and I approve this message. two more big things that my church did right as I uh, was growing up that really prepared me, not just for the ministry, but for life in general. I mean, Rock River Christian Center was the place where I was baptized in water. I was filled with the Spirit. I was called into the ministry. So it's a place that will always mean a lot to me. So I'll mention two more things that they certainly did very right. And the fourth one on the list is they gave me a chance. I think we need to remember the people who believed in us before we believed in ourselves. I remember being, I think, 12 years old, maybe 13, I think 12. And my youth pastor who had only been there for a short time, and I had only been in the youth group for a short time, and he drove out to our house in the country, and here I am, a seventh grader, and um, my youth pastor's coming out to the house, and I'm really nervous, and he came to ask um, my mother if uh, my brother and I would perform a drama sketch that he had written, I think for a missionary that was visiting, and I was cast as the narrator. That's right. Some real method acting needed for that. But hey, it was it was my first time, if you can say, on the platform. I think I was standing off to the side, just reading into a microphone. Wasn't exactly, you know, uh, Ben-Hur, but <laughs> it was an opportunity. Uh, and something about that, you know, it was the first time I was on the platform at my church in front of an audience. And something about it made me think that I would really like to do that more. And I'm so grateful for my youth pastors who gave me chances, whether it was to act or to sing or to be in leadership. Um, I'm thankful that not only was my pastor's wife slash choir director glad to have me in the sanctuary choir as a teenager, but I even got to do solos or duets from time to time. It gave me the chance to be comfortable in front of people and also for the Lord to fashion his calling in my life. And I'm, I'm so grateful that they initiated or cultivated what was placed in me by God. The last thing I want to mention what I think my church did right is that they gave me some really good male role models. 
I already mentioned that I am so thankful for my senior pastors and youth pastors who all played a positive role in my life. Specifically, though, I actually want to talk about a volunteer. I want to talk about a guy named Paul. Paul was a uh, junior high uh, school teacher in our town, and he volunteered to lead what we call junior church. It would be sort of like the children's ministry. Um, now, at this point in my life, I was in a single-parent home. They, my, uh, my parents had already divorced, and I really needed to see a man in spiritual leadership. I, of course, did not know that at the time because I'm way too young to put all that stuff together. But there's something intrinsic in a child that doesn't have that, that deeply wants that. And for me, Paul was that guy. And he seemed to just really enjoy being there each week. He had a really nice sense of humor. He was very even keeled, uh, even though I'm sure we drove him crazy. But he had enthusiasm for what he was doing. And you just felt very comfortable in the room. And boy, did I need that in my life. And from time to time, uh, Paul would initiate these memory verse contests. And, and we would learn memory verses every week. And we would have to commit them to memory. And he would have these contests where the winner would end up winning some big prize. And, you know, when you're a kid, big prize is a very relative term. But I remember winning an electronic quarterback handheld game uh, as a kid because I won. I won the memory verse contest. Uh, I, I would be so determined to win. And not just because I'm kind of competitive, but... I wanted his approval. I, I would be determined to just win every time. And, and I kind of did. <laughs> and the other kids really hated me for that, and I didn't care. Uh, Paul would just tell me what a great job I did. And for me, that was kind of the real reward. And again, I didn't know it at the time. But... Seeing a man in, in leadership and seeing someone who was very approachable and relatable, I think made a huge difference in my life. And I didn't I didn't realize it at the time. But I'm I'm so grateful for the the male role models that I was in contact with growing up. Because I needed to see men doing it right. So I, I want to remind our pastors out there. I just want you to know, even though there are, you think that there are students and kids that are very disconnected and uh, you only see them fleetingly in your church, I want you to know that there are many youngsters, I'll use an old school term, <laughs> there are many kids who really want your approval. You may think to yourself that you're not important to them. Those of you who volunteer to help in the kids' ministry, you may think you're just filling a space, but I'm telling you, there are kids in that room who need to see a man doing it well. Most kids will see a woman doing it well, not all, but there's something about godly leadership being given that can really set a kid at ease. And they are so desperate for the approval of a man in their life. 
especially if they're not receiving that from their father. So whether you're a, a volunteer in the youth ministry, a youth pastor, a senior pastor, uh, a worship leader, I just want you to remember with those younger folks, they really want your approval. Don't be difficult in giving it to them. Convey it to them in a very meaningful way. And you have no idea the right that you are doing. We appreciate you being a part of the Matcast. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. If you'd like more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.